Welcome to The Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope to the people of East London, and I'm praying that you would feel so encouraged by this week's talk. Welcome, if you're watching this online, catching up with us later on in the week. Tonight we are beginning a series called Jesus Acts. Everyone turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus Acts. Jesus Acts. We are going to be looking at the red letter words of Jesus in the book of Acts. When I became a Christian, I got a red letter Bible. It has the words of Jesus in red. Anyone have one of those? Okay, cool. It's maybe a 90s thing, but it has all the letters of uh, Jesus, the words Jesus in red. And I read the Gospels where Jesus' words are recorded as he speaks them on earth. And then I got to the end of the Gospels where Jesus is taken up to heaven. And the church begins to grow after the day of Pentecost. And Jesus is not around. He is in heaven. But then I look in my Bible and I'm like, there must be a typo. Because all the way through the book of Acts, there are these passages with red letters where Jesus is speaking to the people in the book of Acts. I'm like confused. Is it an encore? Is it a flashback? What's going on? But what I realized was this, is that Jesus still speaks from heaven to people today. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, is how Jesus speaks into your life and your situation, your strengthening, your encouragement, your building up, your calling. God is going to do amazing things, I believe, in these next few weeks. So I want to jump into our first um, passage, which comes from Acts chapter 9. And as we do this, if you have a Bible on your phone, do get it out. Acts chapter 9, if you have a Bible with you, if you have a 90s Bible with red letters, get it out. Uh, We're going to look at Acts chapter 9. But as we do this, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are here and that you are speaking to people today. We thank you that you are going to speak through this series in a remarkable way. I really believe that. Lord, we ask that you would move not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul, now Saul later changed his name to Paul, St. Paul, you'll know um, oh, is someone humming? Oh, is that me? Is it the Lord? Or is it someone humming? No. Oh, good. Um, sounds cool. Um, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples when he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's what they called Christians in those days, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling as Saul stood there speechless And they heard the sound that did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blinded. He did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go straight to the house of Judas, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. 
But the Lord said to Ananias, go. Notice the exclamation mark. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Today, I want to speak to you about calling. I wonder if you know what the purpose of your life is. I wonder if you have a sense of your calling. It's one of the questions people ask me the most as a pastor. Like, how can I find out my calling in life? Like, what am I meant to do? It's a question that comes up on Alpha time and time again. It's why we do Alpha. People have space to, to think about life's big questions. And what is calling? Well, calling is a sense of vocation, a sense of destiny, a sense of purpose that comes not from like a personality type or a career profile or your LinkedIn page or your perfect LinkedIn page, but from heaven itself, from God's vision for your life. God says this in Jeremiah 29, verse 1. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. But the question is, how do we figure out what God's plan for our life is? How do we find out what our calling is? Now, maybe you are in the category of people who is like, I am 100% sure on every detail of how my life is going to unfold, what I'm called to do. I have a strategic plan for the next 70 years of my life, or unless Jesus comes back before then, in which case I have a strategic plan for that too. Is that you? Hands up. If you Could you come? Are you raising your hand, Temi? No. Okay, good. I was, I was like, pray for me, brother, because I'm not in that place. Or maybe you're in the category of like, I just don't know what to think about. I don't know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. I don't know what my career is going to look like. I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know how I'm going to live. I don't know who I'm going to hang out with. I don't know who I'm going to date. Maybe you're dating someone. Are they the one? Like there's so many questions that we don't know right now. How can we figure it out? And calling can be complex, right? You're one of those things that sometimes people hide behind. Well, you know, hoovering is just not my calling. Maybe you have a flatmate like that. You know, they're like, yeah, housework's not my calling. Prayer is my calling. So while y'all all do the housework, I am going into my room and praying. Is that right? <laughs> Some of you need to repent. Like sometimes calling can be like an excuse. Like, you know, uh, the date. Maybe you've been on a date and it went quite well. Maybe two or three dates in, the person turns to you and they says, thing is, I'm just not sure God is calling me to be with you. It's like the double dump. It's not just they don't like you. Said as it is, they're not that into you. It's heaven has justified my lack of being into you. Has anybody ever said that to somebody? Kaz, you've had it done to you? Someone said to you, I'm not called to be with you. God have mercy on that person. That's all I'm going to say. I have used that line. I'm confessing now, full disclosure, I'm that guy. I said to a girl on a third date, 
thing is, God is not calling me to be with you. Mm. And they were like, what? I said, God has told me I'm not to be with you. 25 years later, we're still married. (laughs) Who won that one? Calling can be complex. Mark Twain said this, the most important, two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. So how do we find out our calling? Well, the passage we read tonight gives us two simple things that every one of us can do. Two decisions that you can make each day they are going to help you figure out God's call on your life. It's not glamorous or big writing on the wall necessarily, but it's simple things that if you and I do each day, they are going to help us navigate God's calling in our lives so that when we get to the end of our lives, we won't look back and think, we missed the trick. We weren't obedient to what God has for us. Wouldn't that be a tragedy to get to the end of your life and look back and think, well, I came to church, I sang the songs, I helped out on a crew, but I never quite followed what God really had for me. Now, my job as a pastor is to make sure that doesn't happen. And there are two simple things you need to do to ensure that you don't miss God's call on your life. And we're going to look at them tonight. They're both in this passage. The first is to come. Come to Jesus. Your primary calling in life is your calling to know Jesus. Your call to Christ. Notice that when Paul, or Saul as he was then called, is called by Jesus, two things happen. Number one, God uses his name. He says, Saul, Saul, twice. Point is this, God knows your name. It's personal. His call for you is not the same as the person next to you. He has a plan for you, and it starts with you hearing that he knows your name. The next thing that happens is Jesus says, I am Jesus. In other words, God wants you and I to know him personally. That's the center of calling. It's actually knowing Jesus. It's not religion. It can be helpful. It's not kind of ambition. That can be helpful. But that's not the point. It's knowing Jesus that is like the north from the compass that helps us ground our lives in a sense of purpose and calling. So verse 4 and 5, Saul, Saul, I am Jesus. Jesus is always saying, come. Come and meet with me. Come all who are thirsty. Come to me if you're weary and heavy laden. Come to me if you're hungry and I'll feed you. It doesn't need to be dramatic, but maybe you're here today and you've been heading in the wrong direction all your life. Maybe you don't know Jesus Maybe you know about Jesus, but you've never heard him call your name. Well, he's calling it twice tonight. He's saying, come. And what happens when we come to Jesus, simple as it may sound, as we really locate our lives in him, is that everything else will start to make sense. Out of a place of intimacy with God, out of praying, out of spending time with him, all the other bits of your life will start to make sense. You can be having a really rough year, hang on to Jesus. You can have a tough job, hang on to Jesus. You can be finding you're struggling with this area or that, you're not seeing breakthrough in that area. You can be facing illness, come to Jesus. Let him call your name. Let him tell you who he is again. And in that place of encounter with God, everything is possible again. 
So first thing, if you want to find out your calling, go to Jesus. Don't go to Wikipedia or LinkedIn or a personality profile. They can be helpful things. Come to the one who holds your future in his hands. First thing. Second thing is not just do we come, but then we go. There are two callings in the Christian life that are hugely powerful. The calling to Christ and the calling to his cause. If you want to find out what your purpose is in life, go with God and start to do the things he's calling you to do. And you'll soon figure out what you're meant to be doing. That's what I feel like excited about. Or maybe that's not what I'm going to be doing. But when you start to follow Jesus and go where he's calling you to go, you'll find that he begins to do seriously cool things in your life. It doesn't need to be glamorous. Sometimes it's quite hidden. But you'll begin to understand that God has a plan that is more than just come, bless me, fill me. It's go. Let me make a difference in the world. And this passage is famous for the conversion of St. Paul. There are paintings about this. We have the phrases in our language, a Damascene experience on the Damascus Road. Or, or you talk about, I see the light. That's a phrase that's come into popular culture throughout the ages. Paul sees the light, and we talk about seeing the light. But actually, this passage talks about two callings. One hugely impacted the church around the world to this day. Paul became St. Paul, the, the author of much of the New Testament, one of the towering figures in human history, theology, philosophy, one of the greats. Ananias, well, we don't hear about him again. But let me tell you, I wonder which calling was more important that day. Had Ananias not responded to God's call on him, Paul could have just been sitting there in a room in Damascus wondering what on earth had happened. You know, we can't all be Paul, but we can all be Ananias. How? Well, we simply have to respond. When God says go, we do it. So look with me at this. Ananias is called by God. And the first thing, if we get the passage up, the first thing that happens is Ananias hears his name. He's praying. He, and that tells you something about Ananias. He's in a place where he's meeting God. And as he's praying, God, Jesus speaks to him and says, Ananias. And his response is just two words, but they are hugely impactful on the future of his life. He says, if we get the passage up, God says to him, Ananias, and Ananias responds with these two words, yes, Lord. Let's get the text up if we can. Yes, Lord. Those two little words are some of the most important words that you can have in your vocabulary as a Christian. You pray those words when God speaks to you, everything else will take care of itself. Yes, Lord. Yes, here I am. What do you want? Yes, I'm available. Yes, Lord. And in verse 11, the Lord says to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And then he explains he's got to go and meet Saul. And Ananias understandably does a little risk assessment in his head. He's like, no. He doesn't quite put it like that. He's like, well, hang on a minute, Lord. You do know that this is the same guy who is on his way to kill people in, Jerusalem, in Damascus. He is a well-known, like, you know, it's, it's about, if I go to him, it's going to be a bad thing. And then God says, Jesus says a second time to him, notice the words. He says, go, exclamation mark. Now, rarely does God use exclamation marks. I'm pretty convinced the world falls into two types of people. Those who love an exclamation mark, and those who don't use exclamation marks. Apparently, the thing to do is not to use exclamation marks, except when absolutely necessary. That's what they teach you at school. That's what they say in good kind of 
you know, etiquette, guidance, kind of good, good. I love an exclamation mark. Anyone with me? I'm like, hi, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. I write an email and I go through it and it's got like 10 exclamation Each sentence is like, it's so great to see you, exclamation mark. I can't wait to hang out on Sunday, exclamation mark. Thank you so much, exclamation mark. And then at the end of it, because I'm a grown up, I have to go back and edit out the exclamation marks. And I read it, it's like, it's so nice to see you. I look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Thank you so much. And I'm like, this is a boring email. So I put the exclamation marks back in. Is anyone else like that? Now, I'm apparently in a minority because the rest of the world the grown-ups are like no we don't we just do full stops and occasionally a colon no I love an exclamation mark but actually rarely in the Bible does God kind of use an exclamation mark with people in this case he says go and then Ananias says really and then he says go because it's a call it's a command God is saying trust me go exclamation mark I want you to imagine for a moment how Ananias would have felt. I mean, he's being asked to go and meet someone who has papers on him with his death warrant. The courage of the guy. I mean, it must have taken something to say, okay, even though it's probably going to mean certain death, I'll go. You know, we don't usually face persecution for being Christians. The reality is around the world, it's quite different. One in seven Christians this Sunday around the world will face persecution for going to church. 350 million Christians right now face active persecution. There are more people killed this year for their faith in Jesus than ever before in human history. But where we are in East London, you're more likely just to have social anxiety for being a Christian, like an awkward drink at the pub. Someone's like, what are you doing tomorrow night? Oh, I've got this thing um, at, at church. Oh, bit weird. I remember the first time I ever got a job. I was 18 years old, and I was so excited. I, I'd written to about 30 places to try and get a job. And I was between school and university. And I went to university to study um, politics, philosophy, and economics. Bad idea. Too many subjects. Uh, I ended up dropping quite a lot of them. I just basically, the politics was the thing I wanted to focus on the first year. And the course said to me, well, if you're going to come and do politics here, you should go and get some experience in the industry. And I was like, okay, how do I do that? So I wrote to everybody, and I wrote to journalists, I wrote to newspapers, TV stations, and I said, do you, do you ever take work experience? Can I come and make coffee for a week? And no one got back to me. Eventually, somebody got back to me for a very well-known magazine called The Spectator Magazine. And they are a kind of weekly um, publication, um, and they produce lots of columns. I mean, incredibly well-read uh, bit of journalistic kind of political thinking. It wasn't quite my vibe, but I turned up there a little bit sort of anxious. And as an 18-year-old, first job, polished my shoes, turned up, and the door opened. And they said, OK, come over here, sit down. You're in the reception, and you sit there, and you staple stuff. So I stapled stuff Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. On Friday, I'm arriving at work, and I sat next to the receptionist. It was very nice. And as I walk in the door, she's leaving the door in floods of tears. What happened was she got fired. It was a pretty cutthroat world, and they'd had enough of the receptionist. They fired her. And the person who ran the office said to me, um, what are you, what are you, who are you again? I was like, I'm Al, I'm the work experience. And they're like, how long are you here for? I'm, like, I'm here till tonight, Friday night. And they're like, can you come back on Monday and do the office job? And I was like, okay, fine, I'll come back on Monday. So I came and I ended up staying six months there. And it was the most extraordinary place. People would come and they'd file their copy in those days by hand. So if you're a journalist, you didn't send it by email. You'd bring your newspaper article in and hand it to the editor, old school. 
And on deadline day, usually on a Wednesday before they went to print, they would bring in, everyone would start arriving with their copy and people would roll up, they'd... Um, kind of critics would turn up talking about book reviews, politicians would write columns, they'd roll in, everyone would come in through the door, and I'd answer the door, I'd say, welcome, come, let me take your copy. And when they arrived, they had this sort of informal sort of party that would happen about five o'clock in the afternoon, on a Wednesday afternoon. And there was one person called Jennifer Patterson, who was the, um, she was a bit like a cross between Gordon Ramsay and a pantomime dame. She was an extraordinary, she was a chef, and she had a cookery show on TV that was the biggest show at the time. And she did this amazing column, uh, on cookery, and she'd arrived, but she was pretty intimidating, and she handed in her copy this Friday, this Wednesday afternoon, and she had a hamper with cake and wine in it, as you do. She sat the hamper down on my desk, and she said, uh, who are you? And I said, I'm Al, I'm the work experience, but I'm just staying around a bit longer, you know. And she said, right, get the wine open, cake, everybody, cake, and everyone would come over and have cake. And I was really intimidated, but I thought, I've got to get out of here, because I've got to go to Alpha, I'm doing Alpha at church, I just signed up to do Alpha. And so I start getting up and going out the door, and she says to me, where are you going? And I said, I'm, I'm, I, I've got a, a thing I need to go. She says, sit down, sit down. And I was like, no, I've got to go. And she says, no, we're having a party. And all these guys start arriving, and politicians, and columnists, and journalists, everyone's standing around. And she says, um, where, where are you going? What's so important? I said, well, I'm going to, um, you see, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to church. She was like, are you part of the God Squad? And you could see her eyes lit up like she'd found the live one. And I said, oh, I, I, I wouldn't say that, but I'm doing this thing called Alpha at a church called HTB. And she was like, aha, everybody, come on over. We've got a live one like this. And I found myself surrounded by this intimidating panel, like question time of all these people interrogating me. So do they sing songs? Are there guitars? Do you roll around on the carpet? Do they speak in tongues? And literally for about 15 minutes, I was there feeling really intimidated. Eventually, I thought, I'm just going to do it. And I said, hey, you know what, guys? If you're so interested in it, you should come with me tonight and check out Alpha. <laughs> Cleared the room. <laughs> Everybody was like, okay, no, we're fine. We're fine. Find something else to do over here. And it killed off the question pretty quickly. But at the time, as an 18-year-old, I felt like this awkwardness of beginning to share even what was quite a new faith at the time because it felt like such a hostile environment. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. The reality is people are far more open than you might imagine. On the surface, there might be a whole load of front and like bravado, but deep down, everybody is just longing to catch a glimpse of something good something real and something true. Everybody is longing to be filled and fed with hope and life. And when they meet Jesus, it's the most remarkable thing. So I wonder how God might be calling you to go today. I wonder what it might look like for your friends, for your flatmates, for your workplace tomorrow morning. What it might look like when somebody says to you, where are you off to tomorrow night? Oh, I'm, I'm actually going to church. Oh, I'm doing this thing, I'm in this group, I'm helping on Alpha. Oh, because God might use you in the most extraordinary way. The reality is you might be the only Christian that people come across this year. You might be the only Bible that they read. You might be the only lifeline and chance for hope to break into their lives. 
And wherever you find yourself tomorrow morning, you are on the front line of God's purpose for you. Wake up in the morning and come to Jesus. Let him fill you. Spend the rest of the day going and watch him work through you. And the rest will be remarkable. Let me assure you, faithful people serving Jesus day in, day out in their everyday lives have far more of an impact than you would ever know. You know, we don't hear much about Ananias again. And it's picked up in all the commentaries. When the commentaries talk about the conversion of Paul, Paul later on doesn't reference Ananias that much. He talks about being called up to heaven. He talks about this vision, this experience of blinding light. He talks about the overwhelming love and grace of Jesus. He talks about Jesus, how he was called up in Christ, how in Christ he's a new creation, how in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And the point is this, Ananias did such a good job that he got out of the way and all Paul could remember was Jesus. You know, could you and I live such a life in such a way that people don't remember you? They remember Jesus that you leave them full of hope, full of life, full of truth, Jesus on their lips. And so when you do these two things, when you say come and you get ready to go, what you find is that God begins to shape your calling. You become available. It's like the steering wheel in your life is in his hands. When you come to Jesus each day and you pray and you read your Bible and you make your heart right with him. And even tonight we can do that. And then you say, I'm ready to go. Whatever you might do, I'm available. Here I am. Even if it's hard, when you do that, God is able to steer your life and my life in such a way that we can have an impact. We begin to do the things that he's wanting to do. And we can see amazing things happen. I want to end with a story that happened a couple of months ago now, just over there at the back of church, 11 o'clock service, and, uh, you know, we, we, we're in the middle of a busy city, people wander in the whole time, the 11 o'clock is, is filling up the balconies now, it's a packed out service, and people wander in, like they hear the service going on, and uh, this guy had wandered in, and, and to be honest with you, I think, you know, Fair to say he'd probably been drinking quite heavily. He was a bit in a bit of a mess and he was really cross and he wanted to have a fight with somebody. So very helpfully, the hosting team said, well, you should go see the priest at the front. Go see Al. So I was like, oh, great. So this guy comes over and he's like, priest, I want to see you. Like this. And I was like, oh, cool. Okay, great. What's up? And he was like, this is unacceptable. Basically starts having a rant about how people are coming to church and how like all the music and the kids running around. And basically he was just having a go. And, and I was like, okay, I'm thinking I'm going to try and listen to you, de-escalate and be polite, but actually I really just want to run and hide in the loo right now. So I'm just going to give it a couple minutes more and say, thank you, can I get you a cup of tea? No, didn't want a cup of tea. Just basically was getting crosser and crosser and crosser with me. I thought, okay, I'm just going to try and like get out of here. So I was thinking of an excuse to get out of there and I felt suddenly the Holy Spirit say to me, and again, I, I'm not, it's not like a permanent Wi-Fi connection here. I was just, suddenly, I felt like the Lord say, he's got something wrong with his hip. So I was thinking, oh, okay. Well, I was thinking, well, Ananias says, yes, Lord. So I was like, okay, yes, Lord, you know. Okay, okay, Lord. And um, so I said to the guy, can I stop you there? And I literally swear, he stopped dead in his tracks. He was like, huh? And at this point, there's a little crowd who'd gathered around. There's a few people standing around. And I thought, this is my moment. And I said to him, Is there something wrong with your hip? And he goes, 
no. And carries on really cross with me. I was like, oh, okay. So now I'm not just like having a fight with a guy at the back of church who's like getting cross with me, but also I look like a spiritual fraud and everyone else is like, oh, this is really awkward. Like even the, the vicar is like, you know, whatever. Now, thankfully, at that moment, he kind of took the wind out of his sails a little bit, and he kind of changed tack, and he, he left, and, and I didn't see him. Until later that afternoon, I was walking around in Hackney Central, and I saw him with a group of people, and he was like, Oi, priest, I'm going to come for you later. And I was like, oh, okay, that's going to be fun. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, this is really like, I don't, I don't want to see you again. Like, definitely not. So I, I'm, like, changing my route and going a different way to get home. And for a couple of weeks, I'm slightly looking over my shoulders. I'm walking around Hackney. And then two weeks later, I walk around the corner of the narrow way. You know the bit you come out by the vegan cafe and you walk around and you come on the narrow way. It's like this tight turn. I'm like, bang! And I walk straight into the guy. And he's like, priest! And I'm like, oh! And in that moment, I'm like, okay, maybe I'm coming, Lord. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Maybe I'm like, this is it. And he says to me, how did you know about my hip? I said, I I thought there's nothing wrong with your hip. He said, no, there, there is. But no one knew about that. Only me. He said, I had a bad hip now for a while. How did you know about my hip? And so I said, well, look, let me explain this to you like this. It's going to take a moment. Bear with me. Jesus is alive. He's real. He loves you. He's got a soft spot for you. And so much so, in fact, that he told me that your hip was bad so we could pray for you because he really loves you and wants you to know that he has got a soft spot for you. And he was like, really? Me? And I was like, yes, you. He's like, say that again. And I was like, well, Jesus I think you're his favorite. And he was like, huh, really, me? And I was like, yeah. And I think that's why he told me about your hip, because he wants you to get better. And so I said to him, would you mind if I prayed for you? And he was like, yeah, okay. So I put my hand on his shoulder and I prayed for him and I said, Lord, would you come and heal this guy's hip? In Jesus' name. And I was like, I'm out of here. See you later in case it kicks off. About a week later, I saw him again, and he's with a couple of friends. And again, he was like, hey, come over here. I was like, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. And he said, hey, you know what? Tell these guys what you told me the other day. He said, because my hips got better. And I said, well, you know what? I've told your friend here that Jesus likes him very much. In fact, he's got a soft spot for him. I think he's his favorite. And he's like, do you hear that, guys? Jesus has got a soft spot for me. And then his friends start saying, what about me? (laughs) And I was like, and he's got a soft spot for you too. And he's got a soft spot for you. We started praying as a group. One by one, we prayed for them all. One guy who needed a job, I prayed for him. And the next day, he got a job. Now he tells all his friends, if everyone needs a job, come and see me. I've got to say, I'm not sure what job he's got. (laughs) But he says he's not been out of work ever since. But the point is this. It doesn't take much. I can do it. You can do it. We can't all be poor, but we can all be Ananias. We can all say, yes, Lord. Okay, I hear you. I'm I'm, going to go. I'm going to step out. Your life can make a difference. You have a calling from heaven. God has a purpose for you. 
Don't wait till you get to heaven to find it out. Come to Jesus tonight. Go with Jesus tonight. Let Jesus live big in your life tonight. And nothing will be impossible in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's talk. If you'd like to find out more, give or connect with us, visit our website, saint.church. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.